You are listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast. This podcast is for people who want to know the grace of God and how it changes the way we interact with the world. I'm your host, author Darlene Bojek, and in this episode, we are going to find out what the book of Ruth has to say about grace. We love the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a great encouragement to us who are not of Israel, who have been brought into Israel. Now, in the book of Ruth, we have three occurrences of the word grace, and they're all in chapter 2. So I'm going to read through chapter 2, and then we're going to do a, a little bit of discussion about what Ruth has to say about grace, starting at verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is that? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And in the meal time, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epoch of barley, And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, 
May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished at my, all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So a couple of things. Uh, at the very end, it says she was gleaning until the end of both the barley and the wheat harvests. So this was an extended period of time. Also, there's three times in this chapter that the word grace is shown, which is you recognize would be the word favor, find favor. The other thing to notice is the word wings. So we're going to be talking about those three things. A little bit of background. Uh, the question of Ruth has a lot to do with the fact that she is a, a Moabite. Now, the Moabites are one of this, the descendants of Lot. You remember his two daughters were the mothers of his children of his sons Ammon and Moab. Now it's not because uh, they were the children of incest that they were um, forbidden. In Deuteronomy 23.3 it says, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. So it's not because they were children of incest, though that's pretty um, disgusting. It is for another reason. I wanted to read what I found on the internet. Uh, it says, for this verse, No Ammonite or Moabite was to be received, not even in the tenth generation. Not, however, because their forefathers were begotten in incest, but on account of the hostility they had manifested to the establishment of the kingdom of God. Not only had they failed to give Israel a hospitable reception on its journey, that's in Deuteronomy 2.29, but they, through the king of the Moabites, had even hired Balaam to curse Israel. In this way, they had brought upon themselves the curse which falls upon all those who curse Israel. So it says the grandchildren of Edomite or Egyptian proselytes could in the th by the third generation be brought into the temple, but not the grandchildren of Moabites. So um, Ruth was, it was under this national curse. And yet we find three generations later, David is in the temple, isn't he? He is brought allowed to enter the congregation of the Lord. So the, my my focus here is that we should be very aware that those who are not my people are my people. This whole abomination is being covered over. Even though there's a curse on her, she's coming into the land. And, and we have, uh, in the large story of the Book of Ruth, we have a story of of Moab being brought in, in a sense, the, the same story that we have in Hosea. Those who are not my people will be called my people. And we, we get the curse is erased, just like the abomination of the 
unfaithful wife is erased in Hosea 2. So there is a curse on her people, and she is carrying that. Um, in, in a similar way, we carry the curses on all of humanity because we carry the sin, sin of Adam, right? And Christ is the curse. And we do see that, that Christ came from the line of, of Ruth, both in Matthew and the Luke uh, genealogies. We have, um, we know that uh, Ruth, I say Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. So three generations later, uh, even though even though their grandfather on Ruth's side was uh, a Moabite, and this, te- this seems to be uh, related to the father's, the father's side, even though there's four generations, we see that David is allowed in the third generation. So both in Matthew and in Luke, Luke says it in verse 32, um, the, the, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. So we have uh, Jesus is in the genealogy of Ruth. Jesus g- genetically was, an off, was a, a descendant of, of Moab. And he was a descendant of Noah. So we're all related to Christ through Noah, aren't we? So back to the three times that, uh, that we saw in Ruth 2, uh, the three times that we saw the word grace. The first one, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So do notice that... Ruth is hoping, actually she's expecting that she's going to find favor. And this is a very optimistic view of, of God. And I believe that she has come to faith by this point because her actions are that of a are, are reflected in as a as a uh, virtuous virtuous woman like we see in in Proverbs 31 she's working hard with her hands and she has the attitude and the 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 meekness you know she falls on her knees before Boaz she has this meekness about her that is commended in scripture for women uh, verse 10 Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? So she's bringing up the fact that she's, not only is she not Israel, an Israelite, but she's a foreigner, and she's very cognizant of the fact that that Moab is under under this curse for what they had done to the people of Israel, trying to keep them from their promised land. And then we have, the third one is verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Those who are far off are brought near. Boaz here, as an ancestor of David, 
is a noble man. Uh, it says in verse 1, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Moaz. He is a worthy man, and we see that he has this, he is an upright man who has, uh, who, who bears himself with honor and treats others with honor and is concerned about her honor, is concerned about her needs being met, and has heard that she has made this, um, this conversion in or this this physical change to come from her pa- family into the land of Israel, following and caring for Naomi, and so Boaz um, values the things that God values. We see he's a he's a very worthy man, and in a very real sense, he is the kinsman redeemer Christ. We have uh, a very clear. Um, symbolism here of what Christ has done for us to to free us from our um, from our poverty, our spiritual poverty, to bring us into uh, recovering what was lost. Right. So Boaz here is a type of Christ, and we see it from the way he acts. Now, the other thing that I said I wanted to bring. Uh, well, to bring your point to is that she is, she has come into Israel, and Boaz says, "Under whose wings you have come to take refuge?" Verse, uh, verse twelve. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge? He says again, "The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." I want to spend a couple minutes talking about this. Uh, first, a quote from Charles Spurgeon about this. Uh, the verse in chapter 1, verse 14, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Both of them had an affection for Naomi and therefore set out with her upon her return to the land of Judah. But the hour of test came. Naomi most unselfishly set before each of them the trials which awaited them and bade them, if they cared for ease and comfort, to return to their Moabitish friends. At first, both of them declared that it would cost in, they would cast in their lot with the Lord's people. But upon still further consideration, Orpah, with much grief and a respectful kiss, left her mother-in-law and her people and her God and went back to her idolatrous friends, while Ruth, with all her heart, gave herself up to the God of her mother-in-law. It is one thing to love the ways of the Lord when all is fair and quite another to cleave to them under all discouragement and difficulties. The kiss of outward profession is very cheap and easy, but the practical cleaving to the Lord, which must show itself in holy decision for truth and holiness, is not so small a matter. How stands the case with us? Is our heart fixed upon Jesus? Is the sacrifice bound with cords to the horns of the altar? Have we counted the cost, and are we solemnly ready to suffer all worldly loss for the Master's sake? After all gain will be an abundant recompense, for Egypt's treasures are not to be compared with the glory to be revealed. Orpah is heard of no more. 
In glorious ease and idolatrous pleasure, her life melts into the gloom of death. But Ruth lives in history and in heaven, for grace has placed her in the noble line whence sprung the king of kings. Blessed among women shall be those who, for Christ's sake, can renounce all. But forgotten and worse than forgotten shall be those who, in the hour of temptation, do violence to conscience and turn back unto the world. Oh, that this morning we may not be content with the form of devotion, which may be no better than Orpah's kiss. May the Holy Spirit work in us a cleaving of our whole heart to the Lord Jesus. So Ruth covered herself. She she came under the corners of, of the Lord's um, wings. We have uh, Psalm 91 says, He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. God uses the imagery of wings or the shadow of his wings elsewhere in the scriptures to reflect being drawn to and protected by him. That would be Psalm 36, 7, 57, 1, 61, 4, 63, 7, and Ezekiel 16, 8. And Jesus Christ wept for Jerusalem, saying how he wished he could gather them together to him like a hen gathers her chicks. Matthew 23, 37. Since this is the case, the connection of wings to edge of garment shines light on the woman who touched the edge of Christ's garment. Likewise, we can rest assured that if we are in Christ, we are covered by his garment of holiness. Right? So his garment takes on um, healing properties that the woman, uh, the woman who touched the edge of his garment recognized, but even more so the holiness, righteousness uh, that we get by taking his garment. Verse uh, Ruth 2.12, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then we see the kinsman redeemer doing his duty in room verse in Ruth 3 9. Because of this, we can trust him. It says, Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So she did come into the land of Israel, and the Lord, as she had come under the care under under his wings to take refuge but more than this she is asking Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer or the guardian redeemer of her family she's asking him to cover her with his garment which was a physical uh it's a it's a spreading of his protection over her so in light of this, I want us to look at a Christmas verse. And this is the verse that we saw in Luke one twenty-eight. The angel comes in verse uh, Luke one twenty-eight. The angel comes to Mary and having come to her, he said, Greetings, you favored with grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So this is the one where we said is, um, Kyrake Kyratomene, 
which is greetings you favored with grace. We have right after that, the Lord is with you. Luke reflects Mary as a woman who is favored with grace. And when we look at the story of Ruth, we we see likewise a woman who is favored with grace. She she is um, a great model for us to aspire to. And as every time I think it, I think how far I am from being that that same kind of person that she was or that Mary was. I I would hope that my faith is equal, but I sure know that my my virtue is probably not equal in, in the sense of the their soft spokenness. I'm very not much soft spoken. I want to tell you something very interesting. It has to do with Turkey. Um, there is uh, a word that when they were translated the word in uh, for the Bible that was called um, virtuous virtuous woman. They were they had no word really in Turkish that reflected what they wanted to say uh, from the Hebrew. So they this is in. I think this is in the 1600s. And the word they chose was Erdemli. Erdem. Erdemli. Erdem would be a noun and li at the end makes it an adjective. And so it's the Erdemli kadın or the, the virtuous woman. But the word came into Turkish from Erdem the city, which is in Transylvania. And the people of Adam were so impacted by the Reformation that their lives turned into this great light. And uh, we had some people from Hungary and Romania who came and visited. They f- originally from Hungary, working in Romania. So three pastors came to visit us a few weeks ago, and Fikret told them this interesting fact and they said yes even in our land the people of Adam have this reputation for being noble people but the the ottomans when they when they clashed or they they were uh, came into contact with the people of Adam they were impacted by their virtue and so when the bible was going to have this word translated the word virtue they said they used the people of Adam as the adjective, and it's now a part of our language. And it's just a fascinating word study that the people of Adam were, were that impacted by their relationship with Christ. And I see much room for improvement in my life for how I can uh, know grace and reflect it to this world. It is, it's a hard thing to be gracious. It's easy to be gracious to, to strangers and to people not in your family, but it's hard in a family to be gracious. And I don't think it's, um, I don't think people will think worse of me for saying that. 
I think everybody recognizes that it's much easier to be gracious and kind to people who are not rubbing shoulders with you every single day. We have a kind of a comfort that we um, we're comfortable with people and sometimes we let our rough sides show. So let's think of a way today. What kinds of things can we do today that are gracious to those that we maybe are not as gracious with? Particularly, I think there's a, there's a challenge as we're raising our children. We want to raise them in the way they should go. And often we are law and not grace, right? Law, and we want them to be disciplined. So we, we discipline them for their good and everything turns into discipline. But how can we turn law into grace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Ruth. We thank you that in Ruth we see someone who has come from a, a born into a, an idolatrous family who, through a series of, of events, many of which were heartbreaking, she came into um, the care of Naomi under the wings of Naomi and then uh, came under the wings of God. And then from there she came under the care. She and her mother-in-law came under the care of Boaz. And just as you brought us from darkness to light, um, we, um, we see the story of Ruth, of, of, a, of a young woman who has been brought into, into salvation and whose sins have been covered over and whose great-grandchild became the, the one who was um, a man after God's own heart. And we see the, the generations, how the generations affected that. And we ask that even today we would have the soft heart of Ruth, that we would choose grace over law when we're with our kids or when we're um, doing mom things or um, house things that we want it to go our way, that we would be more gracious than, than um, lawyers. <laughs> and so... Uh, we are grateful for your grace. We're grateful that you have taken us under your wings. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast with author Darlene Bojek. This has been episode 18 in season two, Applying Grace. Question of the week. What verse about grace has most changed your life? Now you can find the show notes for this episode, including links to everything we talked about and bookmarks if you want to use them in your Bible, uh, grace uh, definition bookmarks at graceandmercypodcast.com. Make sure to answer any of the questions of the week on the show notes page, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.